Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Talk Junkies, where today's going to be a very interesting day, as it is each and every single week here at Talk Junkies. I um, haven't had a podcast in a while, but uh, if you're interested, t- uh, tune into last podcast with Michael Walk. We talked about his documentary, a fabulous documentary, but today's going to be a good day. For five years on my journey now, I've been trying to understand what's going on financially in the landscape, and I'm, I'm basically an average everyday consumer, so I, I, I need more information and trying to understand the makeup of what's going on in the United States right now. And there's no better person to bring on than Danielle DiMartino Booth. She is a author of a book called Fed Up, an insider's take on the Federal Reserve and why it's bad for America. She's also 20 years, I believe, with the Federal Reserve in Dallas as an advisor to the CEO, and she has her own uh, company as well. Danielle, thanks for joining Talk Junkies. How are you doing? It is great to be here. I was actually only at the Fed for nine years. Had I been there for 20 years, you would have to have already lo- thrown me away, locked me away, and, and thrown away the key. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. I don't know where I read that. I, I'm, I'm mistaken. I'm terribly sorry about that. No, no. All good. <laughs> so let's get let's dive right into it. Um, how, do, how do we make sense to the average everyday person? What's going on in, in this landscape financially? Because a lot of things are happening right now that are, are coming to light that the, the end of the dollar might be the case. Um, how do we make sense of that to the average everyday person? Well, first of all, um, I'm going to boil this down very succinctly. The dollar is not at risk at all. Um, the, uh, the $7 trillion in currency trading occurs every single day. And if that seems like too big of a number to wrap your head around, it should be. But 90% of that trading in currencies around the world is done in the dollar. So until on a practical level, the world really begins to pull back from transacting in dollars, I think we should worry a lot less about the fate of the dollar. And there are certainly more pressing economic issues uh, that we can talk about, given, you know, we've just gone through a banking crisis and it looks like we're heading into a hard landing type of recession. Okay, so you're not worried about the BRICS nation. Sorry, and I know there are more pressing matters, but you see a lot of things on the news, and I know we don't need to take the news wholeheartedly, but you do see the BRICS nations kind of forming together. You have Putin meeting with Xi Jinping or whatever, the president of China, and he says there's going to be change that we haven't seen in 100 years. I believe that France and, and China just had some type of transaction in the yuan, so that none of that startles you for the dollar. No, we've been having these scares, if you will, for a very long time. Uh, you know, back in 2014, for example, 2017 as well, uh, there was this, you know, massive uh, public scare because we were going to move to trading oil in, in in the yuan. And really, until I think uh, Russia is about to go into a harder recession than we are, China is at the slowest growth pace in 30 years. So uh, it's often not the best time to be uh, to be on the offensive when your economy is buckling. And that really is, is is the case. You tend to make these things happen when you're from a position of strength. Okay, so then let's just get it right into it. You you had the feds come out, they raised rates last week. And I believe if I'm not mistaken, they said that might be the last time this year or for a while. Is that correct? Uh, yes, actually, and um, Federal Reserve Chair Powell was pressed on Capitol Hill this week, and he actually conceded to the fact, he said, look at what our projections are. It actually looks like we're going to raise rates one more time in this cycle. So I would anticipate um, on, on May 3rd that we actually are going to see one more quarter percentage point uh, rate hike before the current tightening cycle concludes. Okay, so, and if that's the case, what would that put interest rates at? Is it seven or eight percent? 
about it's about five percent right now so it would take the overnight rate to about five and a quarter percent and remember if you've got a savings account at one of the largest u.s banks in the country you're not even getting one percentage point of interest on your savings whereas now you can go get a money market fund or a certificate of deposit for upwards of five percent so uh, in that sense for savers uh, we really have seen a positive development come out of the current tightening cycle so why do you think people have short-term memory? Because a lot of people, you know, a lot of middle-class people are startled by the, the, the interest rates. We do see inflation happening right now. Um, but these are types of things that happen throughout the, the U.S. history, right? You have the interest well, rates are, going up but, and down. I mean, there's certainly, um, we've certainly had other tightening cycles in history, but we really have been in an artificially low interest rate environment since Alan Greenspan um, came into office at the Federal Reserve in 1987. So most people do not remember uh, an environment in which you would see kind of what we have today, which you know, prior to 1987 would have been considered a normal interest rate environment. We, you've got generations plural of Americans who've grown up with with the interest rate closer to 0%. And that's why I think that this is such a, a hard transition for so many U.S. households. They just don't have a, a, a living memory of, of having positive interest rates. So when you talk about that, though, um, with inflation the way it is, 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 is it the same type of environment? Because I feel like things are more expensive than what they were. Granted, I'm only 33, and I don't know what it was like to live in those times financially. But is it kind of give or take the same amount of, of price per goods and stuff like that? So, so inflation has certainly become problematic. In fact, we're starting to see U.S. households, when they, when they hop into the grocery store, we're starting to see them substitute what they buy. So, um, and that's becoming very entrenched. And what that tells you is that U.S. households have kind of hit their outer limit in terms of their budgets. So they're, they're starting to pull back and substitute, let's say, instead of, buying, um, instead of buying chicken, they might be buying ground beef. And, and when that happens, you typically are past the inflection point where you're going to start to see inflation come down because the companies selling to American consumers are simply having falling sales as a, as a result of inflation being too high, and they will uh, respond by lowering their prices. So I think that that is the good news here is that we've, we've definitely seen the peak of inflation. Now it's just going to be you know, the responsibility of, of sellers. They're either going to go out of business or they're going to reduce their prices. So is it, it's, it's a lot of people will take this into account and say that it's just um, it's it's corporation greed and their, their, their profits are at an all time high. Um, what do you kind of say to that? Is, is inflation really inflation or is it uh, corporate greed? Well, you certainly have had many corporations, especially uh, the automobile industry, grow accustomed to the fattest profit margins that they've ever experienced. And, you know, they, they really have specific to, to cars, they really have dispensed with incentive spending and, and U.S. consumers really have been hosed by paying over um, suggested retail pricing. And I think that those days are coming to an end. I think that those days are coming to a screeching halt. The average U.S. income tax refund compared to 2022 has been 11% lower. And that means that a lot of individuals that might have last year taken their, their income tax refund money and, and put a down payment on a car, they're not doing that this year. They've only got maybe enough to uh, money money back from Uncle Sam to, to pay down their debt that they incurred over the last year, 
or really rose through the holiday season. So in your book, you talk about um, why the Federal Reserve is bad for America. How did we get to this point where they're held unaccountable and they, they kind of just do what it is that they want to do? How is that the case? Is the is the Federal Reserve, and I know what was it in the 19, 1913, kind of whenever it was implemented, I could be wrong on that year. Um, it, how did we get to this point where they're held unaccountable? Well, I think, um, I think a lot of the blame goes to Congress, actually. So after Alan Greenspan took office in 1987, uh, and and he really started the easy money era, we call it. It, it became um, very beneficial to members of Congress to abdicate their responsibilities because the country was able to borrow at these extraordinarily low interest rates and thereby run up the U.S. debt without having to pay much more in the way of servicing costs for that debt. So a lot of this really does go down to the members of Congress and prior administrations in the current administration saying, we're just going to take advantage of the Federal Reserve's very low borrowing costs and do whatever we please and not be fiscally responsible and let the Federal Reserve's policy take care of the U.S. economy. And uh, and that's a shame. And it's also a shame that you've had weak enough leadership at the Federal Reserve, whether you're talking about Greenspan, Bernanke, or Janet Yellen, um, that, that they really have gone along with it and not pushed back and been as independent as they should have been in pushing back and saying, you know what, we're not at your disposal, people of Congress, to just do your bidding so that you can run up the debt to the detriment of you know, future generations of America. We're not going to take part in this. They haven't, uh, they haven't taken that independent stance, and they have uh, essentially been co-conspirators. So being, you know, being in, uh, an, an, uh, an advisor for nine years, what are the types of steps that we can take to ensure that they don't just allow Congress to, to do those types of things? Well, actually, that's going to go back to being an act of Congress. And I think reform of the Federal Reserve is something that is certainly being considered because we have had a few bank failures. And one of the Federal Reserve's chief responsibilities is regulating the banking system. And it's clear. And you know, the leadership of the Fed has even said, you know, we were kind of asleep at the switch. We didn't do uh, we, we didn't. Uh, do our duties in terms of, of, of regulating the banking system. So I think now is an ideal time to look at reforming the Federal Reserve in general. And, uh, you know, once you get fed up and you read that last chapter, I see many ways that it can be reformed, chiefly starting with having people in leadership positions at the Fed actually be everyday individuals who are on the receiving end of the policy, whether it's somebody running a public pension or somebody running a company, not just having PhDs in economics with their models who never really had a payroll or experienced life without a pension underneath them when they retire, having more practical, regular, everyday American people be in leadership positions at the Federal Reserve. I think that that's one of the main areas of focus that I would certainly uh, push Congress uh, in, into, in, into doing in the future. Yeah, we definitely need to do something because, I mean, how scared are you right now and how scared, how scared should just everyone in America be? Because, I mean, you say we're kind of at the the precipice or the the top of of these interest rates going as high as that they're going to go. Um, what do you kind of see taking shape in the next two years financially for America? So you know, it's really uh, my, my crystal ball is very cloudy right now. But I would say that uh, that even somebody who's thirty three years old can remember that in two thousand nineteen the U.S. economy was slowing um, appreciably, and then we had a global pandemic hit 
which gave the government a really good reason to print a lot of money and hand out a lot of stimulus. And I don't think that we're going to be in that position again. Uh, there's certainly not uh, a Congress that's willing to act with uh, with one another. There aren't more stimulus checks coming. And I think that the average U.S. household should be prepared to tighten their belts and, and live with a smaller budget going forward. These are going to be difficult times economically. So... So why is that the case for, for, for people having to tighten up and, and, and live a little bit differently whenever we see, you know, the, the government come in and bail out the banks or bail, bail, bail out the auto industry or bail out, you know, the airline industry? Why does that keep being the case? But I, you know what I'm saying? I feel like we get the crumbs on the, on the, other, on the other end. And that's a very valid point uh, that you're making, you know, coming in and backstopping depositors, for example, you know, that, that that's a shame that it had to happen that way. There was a risk of massive contagion in the U.S. banking system. Uh, I would dare say that regulators didn't have a choice. But again, you're right to say that there really is no trickle down when the times are good. Uh, the average working middle income earning American family is not on the receiving end of policies that have, you know, proverbially speaking, made the rich richer. And yet, when we go into recession or when we experience the inflation that we have these last few years, it ends up hurting disproportionately the hardest working Americans. And again, this is something that that is is really that should be taken up by the U.S. voter. No, I completely agree. And I know it's easier said than done, just the way that politics are. You do have to be heavily involved locally, you know, reaching out to your state representative and being in constant contact, emailing, calling. Um, I have a gentleman on my show named Pat Holland. He's a grassroots movement guy in Springfield, and he's doing wonderful things. But it does require a lot of time, and it requires a lot of interest in what's going on in, in your local environment. So I completely agree, but they do almost make it kind of tough to do it, too, when you're working 40, 50 hours a week and you have three kids, you know? Of course, I, you know, I, and look, I, um, I've got four kids myself, and I'm, I'm extremely attuned to the fact that a, a loaf of bread is double what it was a few years ago, and a gallon of milk is at least a dollar more than it was just a year. I mean, these are things that are very in your face, and you have to take care of your necessities and your own family and putting food on the table before anybody else. Yeah, so... Are you okay with the petrodollar, or do you think since we left the gold standard in 1971, um, did that kind of change the the face of the dollar, or are you okay with the petrodollar? Well, I, I think that I think that the petrodollar is certainly less relevant than it once was. Now that the United States is the largest energy producer in the world, so uh, so we're we're not as dependent on oil imports as we once were. In fact. Uh, the situation that is obviously tragic in the Ukraine has benefited U.S. natural gas producers because we've become a monster exporter of natural gas. And Germany has innovated. They've, they've built floating LNG uh, um, docks and ports. And so I, I think it's actually an exciting time specifically for the U.S. energy industry because you know we, we've had a bit of change of fortune. The rest of the world is much more dependent on U.S. energy production than it once was a few years ago. And we're obviously not as dependent on imports as we were, let's say, in the 1970s when the OPEC oil embargo was disastrous for the U.S. economy. So we've certainly come a long way. And that's I think that's very good long term. So, so we don't necessarily need the dollar to be backed by gold or silver just because we've grown as, a, as an economy. 
Well, I didn't say that. I was speaking specifically Sorry. to the pet dollar. So right. I certainly am, am in favor of, of dispensing with the Federal Reserve's 2% inflation target, because mathematically speaking, that means that you're advocating to cut the dollar, the dollar's value in half within 50 years time. So uh, no, I am a sound money person and believe that we do need to reintroduce much more discipline into fiscal policymaking and monetary policymaking. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, if I'm not mistaken, doesn't uh, Texas have a state depository a state depository of I think do they, do they use transactions with gold and silver if I'm mistaken by by at all in in Texas You know I'm actually not I have I have no idea and I am a resident of the state of Texas and I truly could not tell you See, I, so I, I, I could be mistaken but like a, a Pat he's 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 trying to get Missouri to go back to a gold and silver standard and get a state depository back in Missouri it's one of the things he's working on legislatively this year and I believe he said that that Texas was one of the states that had that but I could be wrong I I, I am not familiar with that but I will certainly now you've given me my home, homework so I'll, I'll go and do some research myself rock on um so I was very excited to have you on the show, and I know we're coming up on the 20-minute mark. Um, so, I, you know, I, I'm a bartender, so I meet a lot of people, and I was very excited to tell people you were coming on my show. And one of the questions, um, as a gentleman, that he, he just had told me to ask you, what's the uh, terminal rate going to be on the yield? So the gentleman is asking where the Federal Reserve is going to stop raising interest rates. And right now, I would... Um, I would anticipate that that would be one more rate hike from now. So therefore, five and a quarter percent is, I think, where we're going to see the rate hiking cycle stop. But again, I think that the average U.S. household should look beyond that question to the fact that it looks like it's the intention of Fed policymakers to keep interest rates at a very high level for longer than, again, most U.S. generations are accustomed to. And eventually it would balance out. I mean, I know you'd have home mortgage rates up more so than what we're used to or accustomed to, um, you know, because I was very beneficial of refinancing at 3% or 3.25%. Um, but we, what you're saying is if we keep those rates up for a longer period of time, then inflation adjusts, then we have more money and we can do those types of things, like still buy houses, have a decent auto loan, all those types of things. I think in time, yes, and, and the Fed does anticipate taking interest rates back closer uh, to 4.3%. That's their projection for the end of 2024. So I think that there will be some relief out on the horizon. But again, you know, having a baby boomer for a mother, you know, I, I can't help but applaud the fact that she's able to be less risky in her own retirement investments and be able to put a little bit more money in, in cash which that's something that savers have been denied in the United States of, of America for a generation. Last thing you want is to have, you know, grandmother out in Las Vegas with her retirement assets in junk bonds. And yet a lot of American uh, retirees have been forced to go there. So I think that this is certainly a, a, a better investing environment, especially for, for older uh, U.S. households. Yeah, like I said, if you have any any extra cash, because it is it is tough, like you say, if you have to strap up and, and be ready to start doing things that you normally wouldn't do, it's a little bit harder to invest into the market or for your retirement. So hopefully we start to see those things transition. I That is that is my hope. I've got fingers crossed. Cool. Well, I, I, that's 20 minutes. It, it goes by quick. I don't think I've ever done one for in, in 20 minutes, but I, I know you're a very busy woman and you got a lot of stuff going on. So I greatly appreciate you well, joining Talk shame, Shanties. Shameless plug, if you will, if you like what I had to say, um, then I would love for you to come and read my research. Uh, we publish every day, every every trading day of the week. So come to demartinobooth.substack.com and have a look. 
Yeah, and, and I'm sorry, I kind of butchered. Uh, you started up your own company, and what's that called? Um, Quill Intelligence. We're actually about to rename the company QI Research, uh, but it's the easiest way to follow me, if you will, is D, at, at Demartino Booth. So I, I'm, I'm a, I've got kind of a, a, a large platform on Twitter. So you fantastic. Can see me there. Well, thank you for joining Talk Junkies. You have a, a fantastic rest of your day, and, and we'll chat again. Thank you. Likewise. Bye.